0: If you have your Bibles, go with me to two opening text scriptures, Matthew chapter 4 and John chapter 15. Again, it's Matthew chapter 4 and John chapter 15. You know, I believe with all my heart that God desires for you not to just only live on the earth, but to live well on the earth to not only have the length of life that is defined in the word of God, but the quality of life that is also defined in the word of God. And the way in which God desires to bring that life to to pass in your life, is gonna be completely different than the way our world is naturally set up. The natural bend to society today is to this, to begin this pursuit that is relentless in the acquisition of things, of status. And when we don't reach the level that we thought we'd reach at a certain time, we tend to become disappointed with where we are. Now I've been there and I don't know if you all have been there as well, where you look up in life and thought you'd be a whole lot further. You know, there are times in my life where I say, I didn't think I'd be doing this now. But that's when I try to compare myself to something I was never created to compare it to, which is the standard of civilization. And I want, for the time that we have together, to present an idea to you, a journey to you, a process to you, that if you commit 100%, it will go exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And so today I want to minister a message entitled The Road to Significance. The Road to Significance. A life of significance is founded in God's grace and powered by his Holy Spirit. If I had to summarize that, A life of significance is one that follows Christ. Simple. However, when I say the road to significance, I'm speaking to a journey. I'm not speaking to a destination. I'm not speaking to a status level. And I want to caution you on placing your value in life based off of the position you hold or the possessions you have. Because those things are temporary, and they will within them give you the temptation to become insecure, because your confidence is in something that can go away. So when we're talking about this road to significance, as we're on the journey, we first need to know where it begins. And the seed to significance is a word I like to use called influence. God has given everyone in here a level of influence in the season you're in right now. You see, this message is not just for those who may be starting off in the things of God. But I'd also like to engage the mind of those who would consider themselves very mature in the things of God. And that no matter where you fall in that spectrum, God still desires to do more through you. That we never cease from learning, from developing, from growing. And we have a God who is interested in us doing everything he's made us to do. All of us have a unique shape and a unique design that when you were born again was placed on the inside of you. And all God is asking is for your cooperation to bring it to pass in your life. But society has told you that you have to work tirelessly and to the bone, but after a few years you realize it hasn't gotten me anywhere. I personally believe one of the greatest hindrances to the body is not false religions, but it's bad teaching. Because anytime the word is used as a mechanism to control you begin to think about God as the master controller who desires robots. God doesn't want robots, he wants relationship. And that relationship is meant to be designed specific to you. And whenever you compare your relationship to God and with God to someone else, you set yourself up for condemnation and your own chains of oppression. Because you're trying to manufacture God in the box someone else was meant to live in. And so this morning, as we're talking about influence, I I define influence as the capacity to have an effect on the character development or behavior of someone or something. So all of us have been given the ability to influence the world that we're in. Whether you realize it or not, people are looking to you. People are looking up to you. People are depending on you. There's no way around it. It's just a fact of life. And we cannot allow the short-sightedness or low-level thinking to say that no one cares about what I do. That is not true. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, and if you're taking notes, write down for context of what I'm about to, to share with you. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is the story of Jesus coming to what would be disciples on the tail end of major disappointment. And I find it interesting that the narrative of Christ's ministry and those in which he chose to disciple was on the heels of disappointment. Not just any type of disappointment, but their craft in life was to catch fish. That was what they were good at. That's what they went to school for. Yet when Christ found them, he found them failing in an area they felt created for. Haven't you been there where you felt like that was mine? Where you felt like How can I not be good at the one thing I'm good at? (laughs) And so there are moments where we have setbacks and disappointments where they are designed for the enemy to come in and suggest that you quit because Satan can't make you. See, disappointment has a way of telling you don't even try again. And when we pick up in this story, Jesus was asking them, try again. And when he asked them to try again, he asked them to cast their nets. But because of previous disappointment, they limited the capacity of their miracle. God can only do in your life what you believe for. Let me insert this as well. I mean, it's been terrible teaching about the character of God out here. God doesn't use national disaster to teach people lessons. And to judge. That keeps people in bondage. Scared. Of their father. We have a fallen world, y'all you left a banana on the countertop, God wasn't coming to your kitchen like, man, I'm going to kill that banana. No. We live in a fallen world. And so natural decay happens. But his grace is greater than decay. So in spite of negative situations, in spite of tough things that hit our life, there is something greater within us, he, that is in the world. So it's not what happens to you. It's who you go to to get through what happens to you. So he calls his disciples. In verse 18, he says, And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net. In Luke 5, you'll see he said, cast your nets, Plural into the sea for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I wanted to note this. I didn't say this earlier. Did you notice that God graced them with more than enough before he asked them to do anything? All right, that's his character. So God wants to be so good to you. Hear me, hear me. He wants to be so good to you that it will be no question as to what should I do next. Did you know the punishment of the Lord is his love? Meaning your feelings are sensitive because your heart is hurting that you let God down, but he's not about to condemn you. He's about to say, I love you. And how many of you know when you don't deserve goodness and someone's good to you, you feel some type of way anyway. But that's God's character. And so when you start seeing God being good, that's what corrects behavior. Me telling you you're going to hell, is gonna keep you acting like you're going to hell. We'll get to it at the end, and I'm gonna say that statement at the end, but there is nothing you can do. Nothing ever, even if it's a repeat offense, in the same day, For the same thing, 490 different times in a 24-hour period to change God's character toward you. Nothing. And whoever in here is thinking about finding the scripture, that's the problem with society today. (laughs) I'm serious. My heart breaks for the state of the church today. Because we've got spiritual scholars, learned ones of the Holy Scripture, (laughs) with canonical references that are bent on sending folks to hell. Did did you ever notice the ones who were spewing out the most hell or the most hurt? I just just really sense that right now. I, I really need to share with you right now that God loves you, and when he's asking you to follow him, it's not for him, but for you. Amen. And that looks different than years before. Sometimes we go back to the same way of doing things, that's the only way we know how to do things. But God is saying to you, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Forget those things which are behind. It's going to sit right here. You've given up on your walk with God because you've got all these rules. You feel like there's something you've got to do. But I'm just showing you in a scripture where he was good to people who were failing in their strength zone and offered an invitation to bring their life up. That's the character of God. And on the authority of Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 1 as well, if anyone teaches you anything outside of what I said, even if it's an angel, let them be cursed. It's time out for making the sacrifice of Jesus conditional. Because his love wasn't. If you want someone to change, you show them the love Jesus showed them. And watch this. Watch this. When you receive unconditional love, it will cause you to act in a way in line with your unconditional righteousness. We're living lower than we were created to. Even in your mess ups. Yes, your mess ups. Because what you do is not who you are. Who you are determines what you do. And if I don't know who I am, I won't know what to do. So I'll do what I think is right, which isn't right. And then I'll feel like I can never get right. Go to John chapter 15 now, verse 7 and 8. So quick recap, quick. God desires we live a life of significance. He wants us to begin this road to significance. He desires to be good to us, and then he offers an invitation for us to follow him. When we follow him, he uses our gifting. To influence the world around us that's our influence that's the seed form to the life of significance influence alone is not good enough it's what we do with that influence that, that counts in the world so when I say fishers of men all I'm saying is influencers John 15 when I follow someone I become their disciple John 15 and 7 says if you abide in me and my word abides in you you shall ask what you will And it shall be done to you. By this, my father is glorified. Or this is what gratifies the Lord. This is what makes God happy. Is that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So a result of following the Lord. Will cause your life to bear the fruit of influence. Notice in John 15, seven and eight, it did not ask you to create fruit. It said bear or release because a vine itself, the casing of the vine itself does not produce the fruit. The nutrients inside of the vine is what produces the fruit. Abide in me and I in you. Christ in us is what produces much fruit in our life. Where in there do you find hustle, grind, go hard, act? <laughs> so I programmed myself for this road to significance as a bumpy, busted, hard, team no sleep road. But the word did not say anything like that. All it said was follow, I'll produce. So it could be the reason why we're not getting the levels of fruit that we desire is we're not following at the level that we were requested to. Go to Romans chapter 12. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. So God desires to give us a level of influence to get us going on this road to significance. But we have to understand how to properly steward the influence that you currently have. You're not trying to get influence. You are influential right now. The question is, what are you doing with that influence today? That's what you were created for to influence the world that you live in. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For I say, through the grace that I hustle for. What did it say? Through the grace, the gift that was given to me. It says, to everyone who is among you. So look around. Look around. Look around this room. Everyone in here. Has the grace of God on their life right now. And the definition of grace alone, the first adjective of grace is superabundance. That's, that's grace. Super abundance gift. You have a super abundant gift. You right now have more than enough. To get through and get to whatever he's called you for. As a gift. Not trying to get anything. You have grace. From Jesus. To everyone who is among you. Not to think of themselves more highly. So it is not... Apart from Jesus. So without Christ, we are nothing. Nothing. I mean, none of us. Nothing. We'll read in other parts of Scripture in First Peter, I believe, chapter 2. Our righteousness, or our doing right, forgive me, is like f- f- feminine rags. It was hard for me to say that. Feminine rags during their time of menstruation. So when you go to God bragging about what you did for him, the Bible says, let us render to God the sweet savior of our praise to him. Meaning every time we go to him, there's a fragrance. So every time you go to him about what you did, you get the hint of the fragrance in his nostrils. I'm talking about the good stuff you did. Because let none of us think higher than who Christ made us. But think soberly as God has dealt to each one in the King James, it has a better rendering from the Greek text, each one the measure of faith. So it's not That this person has small faith, this person has great faith, this person has medium faith, this person, I don't even know if they have faith at all. It's not every person the moment they were born again received a super abundant amount of grace and the amount of faith required to activate all of the abundance of grace. Everyone the moment they became born again. So this whole I'm doing this to get more faith is inaccurate, according to Romans chapter 12 and verse three. If God gave you the definitive amount of faith required to get the job done, then for you to say, I need more is telling God he didn't do a good job with your salvation. So it's not about the faith you have, but the faith you utilize. But if I'm not in the word to know what's been given to me, I'll be living life at a level lower than was given to me. So we could say that to every man was given the measure of faith or the measure of influence. So you have more than enough influence to start the road to significance, to actually make it to living a life where you are being a person of significance or a person who leaves legacy. So there's a process when we understand that it's by God's grace and not our own that we can actually steward the influence in which God has given us. So when I understand that it's not by my ability, it's not by my might, it's not by my intellect, it's not by my education, it's not by who I knew in the natural sense of who I know that I am where I am, but it's by God, then I will treat the opportunities God gives me correctly. When I steward influence correctly, then it opens the door to spiritual prominence or promotion. And so by God's grace, when I am promoted, I realize that I'm only promoted due to the grace of God on my life and not because I'm good enough for what I was promoted for, which by the spirit of God, that means that there are going to be some situations that you are going to step in by God's grace that on paper, you're not qualified for. God is not calling you to be qualified. He's asking you to be available. And you've got to know that no matter what it is, it's always going to be God's grace. It doesn't matter what I knew, what I studied, what I said. If his grace is not for me, I am nothing. So when I I steward the promotion, the prominence correctly, then it leads me to a place of significance. So there's this process that we're in in every season of our life. And you have to ask yourself, is this a season of influence? Is this a season of prominence? Is this a season of significance? If you're a person of significance, you need to be asking yourself, what can I leave as legacy as I transition into the next season where I'm going to have to garner influence? If you're a person that's been promoted, ask yourself, how are you treating the promotion and the elevation that God has brought into your life? What I've noticed is that sometimes the tendency is when we get promoted, when we get elevated, to stop doing the things that got us promoted in the first place. So we turn around and become like the ancient Israelites when they were leaving out, who forgot the Lord their God and that it was he who gave us the power to get well. And so we start making all the decisions in our life. So vice here, vice there, vice here, vice there, vice here, vice there, until we're trapped in the success that was supposed to be used to influence others for the kingdom of God. If you're a person where today... You're feeling like God is calling you higher than you need to steward the gift that he's given you today with excellence. But before we move forward, let's let's now look at some examples of people who define significance by the world and then someone who defines significance by the kingdom of God. Go to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at the first example where someone defines significance by the world standards. And we're going to talk about the rich young ruler for a moment. Because the rich young ruler has been taken and taught out of context for so long to tell people that God doesn't want you to have possessions and nice things and prosperity. And that if you want to be holy, you give everything that you have to be just like the Lord. And if you're in here today, I am here to help you be holy. (laughs) The context of the rich young ruler had nothing to do with what he had. Nothing. And I'm going to prove it to you. Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 16. Now, behold, one came and said to him, being Jesus, good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Before we move any further, the rich young ruler asked the wrong question. He said, what must I? Romans twelve three. we said each one has been. Eternal life is a gift. Not a performance-based reward. But what I love about Jesus is that he didn't go and condemn the rich young ruler because of his fallacy of doctrine, but he met him where he was at. So he said, okay, rich young ruler, since you want to become perfected in your own efforts, let's play the game. History. In the Old Testament, there's a minimum, a minimum, a minimum of 613 rules. Minimum of 613 because they added on Mishnahs, which were man-made rules, to protect the people from breaking the rules that were already established. Hmm, sounds like religion, doesn't it? Yeah. In James, it reminds us that to offend one of the Mitzvahs, or the man-made Mishnas, I'm guilty of them all. So the law says, the old covenant says, that I can do 99 things right and miss it one time and be guilty for all of the punishment. But the grace of God says, I can do everything wrong and do the right thing, which is believe Jesus, and get blessed as if I kept all of the rules that there were. So what he's having to do with the rich young ruler is show him that according to the old covenant, yes, you understood to the level that you knew what the law was. And so Jesus rattled off some, for the sake of time, we'll we'll, we'll go ahead and summarize this. He, He rattled off different commandments that were familiar to most. The rich young ruler said, I've done that. Bless me on my merits. I prayed. I tithe. I serve. Therefore, the condition of you blessing me is me, not you. So the rich young ruler, because he was successful, believed that he was more righteous than the Savior. And any time we think our actions are going to get us greater clout with the Lord, we're saying that our works are greater than the finished works of Jesus Christ. So what Jesus said to the rich young ruler is, I understand that you've done all this. Let's get past what you do. Let me get right to your heart. And so he knew what was at the core of his being. He took pride in his success. And he said, if you're willing now to submit your success to the Savior, then I'll take you further than you've been before. Because you got to understand that Jesus is the maximum and the greatest leader of all, meaning he's not going to ask us to do something he hadn't already done. You know, Jesus wasn't poor, right? Y'all do know that, right? And because he wasn't poor, he had to leave heaven to come down to earth before electricity, all right? And he left all of the riches that are in heaven to take upon the form of a servant so that he can serve others. So he was asking someone who he was called to serve to follow his lead by doing what he did. And because Jesus had already done that, he's saying, I know how to lead you to where you're trying to get And he was sad at that saying because he couldn't trust God with his future, the one who made his future. And the rich young ruler went away sad at that saying. Jesus did not cast him away for not wanting to trust him. Meaning whatever the Lord has asked you to do, And in that moment, there was something that you were holding on to. He hadn't left that spot yet. Even though you might have walked away. He's still standing right there. All he's asking is, I'm still here. Follow me. I'll help you. The life of significance is not a life based in material possessions and acquisitions. It's not based in self-performance, the life of significance. It's not based in what I can do. The life of significance is based in who I believe, which is Jesus Christ. He's calling all of us to live a life that believes in him. For the sake of time, I encourage you to read the book of Philippians. If you're ever having a bad day, read the book of Philippians, knowing that Paul wrote that entire book categorized as the book of joy in the bottom of a castle that was a makeshift prison, which was where they stored their septic tank. So he's prisoned unjustly for following Jesus, yet he still could pen a book based in joy, not looking at what he was going through. So it explains now in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, everything I've ever accomplished apart from Christ, I count it as... Done. He was using a visual illustration. He said, but but here's here's my righteousness. It's not of the things I've accomplished because if you read Paul and before that Saul's lineage he was very accomplished. It's not, not that I've accomplished all these great things, but here's my righteousness that's a gift of God and I live by faith. See, faith is a response to the gift we've been given by God. The simple definition of faith is your response to how much you believe God loves you. So if you've been given a super abundant amount of grace, but I don't really believe that God loves me, will I ever use that super abundant amount of grace? Now help me understand how that's logical. There's faith we haven't even tapped in because we have a problem trusting in his love for us because of bad teaching. Now understand the Bible doesn't speak to everything so neither should Christians. Some of the things that have messed people up are illogical responses to things that happen that you didn't know how they happen. Sometimes just be quiet and say, I don't know. <laughs> Stop trying to give a reason for everything. Let me go back to faith for a second because I really wanna, I really wanna leave you all with this. If you go back to studying faith, especially um, when Jesus talked about little faith and great faith. He did not quantify little and great faith based off of what they were believing for. Meaning, in our natural vernacular, if you're believing for a house, great faith. Believing for a meal, small faith. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't quantify faith that way. What I've studied, especially when you see when he actually makes reference to little and great, is that faith in no matter how the size of the project is, how big, how grand the size the project is, if there are any elements where you're believing in your own efforts, it's little faith. But faith, no matter how small the project is, But it's in Jesus, who's already finished the works, is great faith. That's why he said, if you have faith the size of a... You can move an entire mountain because the faith, great faith is the direction that it's pointed in, not the object it's placed in. So when, when, when people ask God, they, they were like, okay, what is, anybody ever asked like, what is the will of God for my life? Like, I, I just want to know, Lord, what's the will? What's your perfect will? Like, it's <laughs> the fast right now. I just want to know. Get your Bible out. Just tell me, Jesus. Anybody, been, don't, don't act like you're not, because you've got your journal that you just wrote in. All right, I, I know, I know, I know. All right. In John, they asked the same question. Jesus said, here's the will of God. Believe. That's all. God is the greatest in in counseling of the technique called one downing, meaning that you give off that you don't know as much as you do to encourage people to inform you of what they think you don't know, right? So when God said... Put me in remembrance of my word. Uh-huh. He's the greatest one downer there ever was. Just think about it. When you feel like you got to remind, get this, the God who made all the stars, named them, the stuff they haven't even found yet. He forgot about your situation. When you feel like, I need to remind God, uh-huh. I said, God, I conjure you, aha. I declare and decree that you said that to touching and anything in my name, aha, that you will be in the midst. And God, I'm calling out to you that you'd hear my prayer, God. <laughs> Do you know the only reason why you confess is to remind yourself of what you forgot? So why Jesus said, you don't get your prayer answered because you keep repeating it. Your prayer is already answered. Just talk to God and say, I already prayed. I got it. I remember I prayed. I got it. I receive it. I got it. I've all, we've already prayed. God, I'm just reminding myself that it's already done. Oh, I got to close. Um, let's land this plane. All right. How about we do that? I'm going to land the plane. There are three things and, and write this down for uh, future reference. There are three things I've noticed about the road to significance. They're not all of the things I've noticed about the road to significance. It's just three that I've noticed because I like to study Jesus. Honestly, he's the greatest leader, greatest friend, greatest person to study and, and studying Jesus according to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 11, if we were to read all of those things, there are three things that Jesus displayed. Number one, Jesus displayed humility. Number two, Jesus displayed selflessness, not thinking of himself, what he could get out of the deal coming to earth. Uh, the song. What a beautiful name has a line in it that says, you didn't want heaven without us. What what, what that's saying is, God could have stayed in heaven and not redeemed mankind, but he wanted to, which means he wants you. But at some point in our life, we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to forsake My way, my truth, and my life for John 14 and 6 for the way, the truth, and the life. There's a way that we've handled our money. It's our way. It's our truth. And it's our life. But God is saying even down to our money and our resources that I have a way that's founded in the principles as the Bible of laws, and laws are not respecters of persons. They're respecters of obedience. And, and, and people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And so there are things that God places in the earth for tools. And we have to be like Jesus and be humble to receive the tools he wants to give us and say, you know what? I'm tired of doing things my way. People are like, Lord, I need a sign. Send me a sign, God. That you want to send now prosperity. And he's been announcing financial peace for like four weeks. <laughs> God desires that we're selfless, not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. And the final thing, which was huge, that I noticed by Jesus in Philippians 2 5 through 11, is that. He had this element of trust. See, all of us in here can trust in the power and the ability of God. I mean, who believes God is all-powerful? God is all-knowing. Come on, keep your hands up. Now, how many of us believe that he's already finished the work? It's a finished work. Jesus, Jesus, amen. So, so I mean, let's just be honest. This, this majority of this room, we all believe and trust That God is who he said he is. We believe that. And I believe that we all believe that. Here's where our trust has an issue at. In God's character, not his ability. We don't have a problem with God already finishing the work. We have a problem with, has he already finished the work for me? That he's all powerful in my life. That he has all ability in my life, and then give him the trust to flow through you concerning your life. That's where we have to come up. By the Spirit of God, I know there are people that God has been talking to about career changes. But because we've been doing things a certain way for so long, we've gotten comfortable. And being comfortable has caused us to become paralyzed. And he's been nudging you now for years because he's patient and he's willing to work with you. But you said, saying, I, I don't know. God, if you want me, Lord, to make uh, that move, I've been fasting. You know, y- y'all notice how like spiritual people change vowels, <laughs> A's to O's, fast. It's like, where did the Elizabethan English come from? <laughs> now I adjure you. <laughs> I've been believing, Lord. If thou art, sendeth me aside. I'm available. And he's been announcing Job Link for three weeks. <laughs> Sometimes we don't notice a miracle when it smacks us right in the face. Because it requires our cooperation with the grace God has already given us. But when we get so convinced about God's character, and we get so convinced about that he'd never leave and forsake me. Not us. Me. Everybody say me. Me. Come on now, say me. me. I want you to put your hand on your heart. I want you to say, my dad, my dad who, is the who is the creator of the entire universe, the entire universe is, there is there for me, for me in, everything. in everything. What about my character when it's not right? God's character is not moved by your character flaws. The greatest tactic of the enemy is not to get you to not believe, but to get you to think that you're not made righteous unconditionally. That's his greatest tactic. Am I worthy for him to do this for me? You weren't worthy for Jesus to die, but he did. And there's nothing if he was willing to give you his son that he'd hold back from you now that you're his child. And when you have this confidence, it creates a boldness in the face of persecution. Because in living the road to significance, people will talk about your faith stand. People will talk about your incurity. They will talk about your steps, but let them talk all the way to the bank. Because God has called you to do things that this world has never seen. And he wants to flow through you in ways where people can bring him glory and honor. So I was studying this message. I discovered this Indian martyr in the 19th century. And what stood out about this Indian martyr is that he was converted to Christianity from his polytheistic religion that he was a part of. And once he was converted, he was so on fire and so passionate and so in love with this Jesus who desired a personal relationship with him that it began to spread and share the news of Christianity to his tribe. Well, the chief of the tribe found out and the leaders of the tribe found out because it threatened them. And in that society, you were significant if you had sons and if you were married. And so the chief of the tribe signaled to the leaders of the tribe to go and get that family, get the entire family and bring them for a ceremony of sacrifice. And he brought his two sons, his wife himself, he had them stand there, and he pointed to the guy and he said, Look, if you do not renounce Jesus Christ, we will kill you. And in that moment, he had a song that came up spontaneously from his heart. I need y'all to sing it with me because it's very familiar and I can't sing. <laughs> Out of his heart, he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided, decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. To follow Jesus, no turning back. So the chief of the tribe took his bow and arrow and kills his two sons right in front of him. But it didn't stop him because there was another verse that sprung up from his spirit that said, Though none go with me, still I will follow. No, none go with me, still I will follow. No, none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning And the chief of the tribe looked at him, took his bow, killed his wife. But another song came in his heart. He said, the cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning turning back. Hebrews 12, 1, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of my faith. That chief took his arrow and killed that man right there and he died. Looking at that family who decided to not turn back but to follow Jesus no matter what it cost them The chief in that moment said, I too want to follow Jesus. And the entire tribe was born again. Can we trust in the character of God enough to know that no matter what persecution we may face, that we're unwilling to turn back, that we're unwilling to do things our way because of who has gone before us? And who is leading us every step of the way?